Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hello and herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode. We are going over a short story by Joyce Carol Oates. Where are you going? Where have you been? This is a short story I have some familiarity with from taking Joyce Carol Oates's masterclass, though I did not finish her masterclass. So while she did talk about this short story in one of the sessions, I did not finish the rest of her masterclass to know all of her thoughts about writing, for instance, and her thoughts about Hemingway, I believe, was the last episode that I listened to. So I'm grateful to be able to sit with you all today and take a second, more detailed, perhaps, look at this short story, where are you going, where have you been, and get into an analysis. Joyce Carol Oates is an author who I have been meaning to engage with for over a year now. Anne Patchett is another such author who took me over a year to engage with before I became obsessed with their writing, and I figured that the surest way to finally read more Joyce Carol Oates was to integrate her work into the podcast. Now, reviewing work by authors that I'm not familiar with poses some risks in that my analyses are not going to be as complex and they're not going to have some of my favorite tried-and-true comparative components, which we talked about at length last week on the show in our episode, Does Reading Encourage Writing? However, one strength of the podcast as a whole, and this is the book album formerly known as Didion Hawthorne and the In-Between, is that we have done a great job of reviewing books and shorts from the perspective of a newcomer, a new reader, someone who is not a literary specialist but rather is a literary enthusiast. If you have seen the Horrifying Classics lineup for 2021, then you know that a collection of gruesome shorts by Joyce Carol Oates is our crowning piece, so to speak, of the entire series. It premieres on Halloween night. So I thought the best way to work us all up to feelings of fall and Halloween was to jump the gun, at least in one respect, and read a short story by Joyce Carol Oates, one of our horrifying classics authors for 2021. So as I said, I did read and go through this short story once before when I was taking Joyce Carol Oates's masterclass on masterclass. I did an episode about that, by the way. It's called My Year on Masterclass. I'll link all these episodes in the show notes at relevanceofliterature.com slash notes under the notes for this episode. I, of course, remember some things from that masterclass, which I will review presently. So it was inspired by some murders by the serial killer Charles Schmid. And the reason why I remember this fact about the short story is this serial killer was active in my hometown, Tucson, Arizona. 
And Joyce Carol Oates has talked about the inception and the inspiration behind this short story in several different venues, interviews, on Masterclass. She devotes a whole episode to it, and there's a lot of information on it, I would say, compared to short stories, such as by Flannery O'Connor, for instance, or other short stories of similar caliber that we would analyze in the show. For example, we've done some Susan Choi short story analyses from The New Yorker, and there's just no way to know, partly because those short stories are so new and she hasn't had as much time, for instance, to comment on them. And it also seems like this self-awareness and willingness to engage with, for example, the media and broader the broader public on works like this and the intention behind the work and getting into at least a bare-bones type of analysis with her own work is something that's very characteristic to Joyce Carol Oates and to not only her writing of her being a spokesperson for her own writing, but just her as an individual and how she thinks and how she works. Uh, it seems like she really does have the heart of a teacher and is minded like someone who is willing to expose what she was thinking behind writing the things that she writes. And that's something that, for example, Joan Didion to a lesser extent does. Um, and something that is, you know, fascinating when a writer is able to sort of come into this public space or come into the limelight a little bit. And a lot of people stereotype writing as this thing that you do in the dark and you make it as mysterious as possible and you never comment on it ever again once it's published. And... Um, the writers like Joyce Carol Oates, like Joan Didion, break the mold in that regard. Even Dickens, to an extent, with his public readings, certainly David Sedaris. People who are open not only about the writing process and writing itself and getting to the point of finishing works, you know, consistently. That's one theme that a lot of young writers struggle with, but also looking at work itself and getting, as I said, into that deeper analysis and interpreting their own work. That's very fascinating to me as a reader and also quite unusual. It's not like we have in a Faulkner piece all the time written commentary by him on the margins, which is essentially what Joyce Carol Oates and other writers in her style um, are providing for us as we read. There's also um, a little quip that Oates dedicated the story to Bob Dylan, apparently because she was inspired to write the short story in part from his song, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. And she does talk about in Masterclass how this short story was originally called Death and the Maiden, which is one of those old and very famous literary tropes. And something that 
I think is very, very fitting to this piece as a whole. And the bits of analysis that I remember we'll get into in a minute. So this short story is, it has quite a straightforward plotline actually. There's a teenage girl named Connie who is the almost heroine of this short story. And she is like a typical, sort of stereotypical almost teenager. She goes out into town, that's her main shtick and she has this group of friends that she hangs out with and she keeps up with the popular rhetoric and she's very concerned about her beauty and her the way she looks and the way that she presents herself to people. I love the characterization of this character that she's two-sided, like everything about her is two-sided. Um, and in a way, I think that's the way that all teenagers are. And so we get this view of this girl who has these individual traits, like she has this long, dark, blonde hair, and she wears it a certain way, which we'll talk about, and she has sort of these, you know, individual characteristics that we can point her out with, but she, again, she's a representative, in a sense, of everyone who's 15 and knows what it's like to go to the mall and to try to be beautiful and popular and to compare yourself to your models, your older siblings, in this case Connie's older sister, her parents, for example, and to, seems like Connie um, simultaneously wants something drastically more and better for her life, but also just enjoys the moment and enjoys living. And that's something that's also so representative of the teenage experience um, canonically that is, which is that you want to spread your wings a little bit, but at the same time there's that sense of presence and immediacy that a lot of teenagers feel. Character is always something that I'm interested in in the short format because it's one of those key components to any piece of writing, to any sort of connection with people, right? And the way that different authors develop character is so starkly different. If we have a novel, for instance, you're able to get, I think, into a lot more complexity over the course of the novel. How the character makes decisions, how they talk about their past, you get used to their narrative voice in a way that's, you know, more suited to the longer format. And so, with these short stories, the way that I read them oftentimes is looking for touch points, so looking for characterization, looking for setting, looking for distinctive details. For example, in the characterizations of a lot of these characters, there's some distinct details that we'll talk about. <laughs> so, it's one of those components that I think is so important, especially in short story writing, to observe and to get the hang of in that sense. So Connie, I'm going to read a couple lines from the first paragraph of this short story. Her name was Connie. She was 15 and she had a quick, nervous, giggling habit of craning her neck to glance into mirrors or checking other people's faces to make sure her own was alright." And that's from the first page. 
So Connie has this, again, this like specific, these specific habits and these specific tendencies. She looks a certain way, but she's so, to me, she's such a poster child of the teenage experience. Quote, she had a high, breathless, amused voice that made everything she said sound a little forced, whether it was sincere or not, unquote. Again, on the first page. And one thing I love about the way that Connie is introduced to us in this first page and the second page as we go on is that we start to get a sense that there's there are these qualities of womanhood that are written into her character as well, and that's going to become very important later in the short story. And so what I like about the way that Connie is characterized is that right off the bat, not only do we have uh, sort of the essential components of Connie, right? We can draw a mental picture, which is important for, again, the touch points, the connection at the outset of this kind of shorter work. But we also have all the tools we need already to look at the work from a retrospective place. When we're at the end of the short story, we finish reading it. So Connie is, again, this representative of the teenage experience. She's individualized, but again, this sort of broader concept as well. And she has these components that I think are very gendered in a sense, uh, where they talk about her voice and the way that she walks as being a certain way. And, 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 and we have all of these characterizations that are in my mind, distinctly female, and getting to walk through this short story as a piece of female agency is really interesting. So we have Connie, she's introduced to us, we go to a night on the town with her, and eventually she comes back home and her parents ask her to go to this barbecue and she says no I'm not gonna go I'm just going to enjoy the the day and she's outside drying her hair and then comes back in and there's a car a strange car that pulls up and there's a man named Arnold Friend who gets out obviously our serial killer figure and he coerces her one view is that he coerces her to come out of the house and into his car without him breaking in, but rather her just leaving on her own will. Um, another view is that she willingly goes with him, and that's something that we'll explore as we get into the analysis a bit further. So other characters that are interesting and or important in the short story, Connie's sister is serves as a foil to Connie, right? So Connie's sister is a secretary. She's described as this plain kind of figure, but very upstanding. So the fact that she's not outwardly beautiful, at least not in Connie's perspective, is not at all a commentary on her actual personality and how she actually lives. And I find that to be really interesting, the kind of jaded perspective of this teenage Connie and her own opinions and her own biases about womanhood and what's important for women and these all these you know qualities that her mother always says about her sister 
are things that Connie doesn't seem to respect or at least pick up on in the same way. So they're very much foiled in that regard, not only their outward appearances, but the way they approach their lives. Connie's mother and father. Connie's father doesn't get that much screen time, so to speak. He is just described as this kind of balding figure. Her displeasure and her willingness to start branching out, you know, her almost uncomfortableness with her life comes out through her father especially and through her mother as well. The way that they're described is sort of boring and she's ready to move on, that sort of sentiment. Connie's mother, also a very interesting figure, does not get a lot of time in the short, but at the beginning it's really a cool characterization. There's a line on page two, quote, the two of them kept up a pretense of exasperation, a sense that they were tugging and struggling over something of little value to either of them. Sometimes over coffee, they were almost friends, but something would come up, some vexation that was like a fly buzzing suddenly around their heads, and their faces went hard with contempt, unquote. Yeah, really interesting relationship between her mother. I think, again, to the extent that this is common to all teenagers, I think that it makes for a really detailed kind of characterization for Connie. And then later in the short story, of course, Arnold Friend comes up. And he comes up actually fairly early on, uh, page four here, we have a characterization. And this is, again, all from Connie's perspective. Quote, he looked at her, he took off the sunglasses, and she saw how pale the skin around his eyes was, like the holes that were not in shadow, but instead in light. His eyes were like chips of broken glass that catch the light in an amiable way. He smiled. It was as if the idea of going for a ride somewhere, to some place, was a new idea to him." Unquote. And we start to see the chinks in the armor at that point, and the way that this develops is so fascinating to me. Looking briefly at sentence structure and variation, I had a couple of these characteristics written down because they're things that I'm interested in looking at in general in short stories and things that I try to keep little points on in my mind as I'm reading. So the question here for me at least, especially considering the amount and the type of writing that I've been doing recently for graduate school applications, my question is how often does Oates use direct active short sentences? And something that I really liked in everything that I've read from her previously, which is not that much comparatively, is that she has this wonderfully sparse prose, but there are times when she writes, for example, in this short story, as if she were Connie, and that changes her prose necessarily. So let's go back to the first page together, the second sentence that I've already read. Quote, she was 15 and she had a quick, nervous giggling habit of craning her neck to glance into mirrors or checking other people's faces to make sure her own was all right, unquote. That's a really rambling sentence, and that was something I 
caught on to almost immediately as I was going through and reading this. We have this first short sentence, her name was Connie, right? That's the kind of sentence that I was trying to keep track of while I was reading. And that seems to be a sort of default, or at least an ideal, to Oates's writing from what I know of her and from what I know of what I've read. And so the second sentence, this like nervous giggling habit and all of these different situations that are outlined in it, and the, even the way that it's written, right? She was 15 and she had a quick nervous giggling habit of all of these prepositional phrases in here cluttering up the sentence. That is coming from Connie. And of course it's tricky, right? Because this isn't a first person narrative perspective, it's a third person. But yet it's influenced so much by Connie. And I think that, honestly, that third person was becomes helpful in the end, especially as we're looking at Connie's decision-making and what's going on, how the prose changes. Yeah, it becomes pretty essential to the end. All right, now we can talk about pacing and some fun stuff. So something that we will, look at, we will be looking at, at in length, like very significantly in horrifying classics, is pacing. And what I found so great about the pacing in the short story is that Oates is zooming in on a moment and she's moving quickly through the milliseconds within that moment. And so from pages six to nine, which is the last several pages of the short story, last four pages, we have these, you know, I'm sure this exchange takes place across, you know, five, ten minutes maximum, maybe longer, but it's not a long sequence, and yet she devotes four pages to it. And it's this idea of, like, time stopping, and yet it keeps going so fast within this moment. And that's something that I thought was just so notable about the last part of this short story. The first part, the first two pages or so, it's they're just languid, like the summer heat. They really match the regionalism almost of this short story, at least the way that I think of this short story being sort of inspired by these Arizona murders. It seems to be right on par with what's going on. And then the dialogue, of course, starts to speed up when Arnold Friend first comes into the picture on the third page. Dialogue is a great way to speed things up. There's, I won't give too much away, but in one of the horrifying classics books we're reading, there's a lot of dialogue and that's something that I really took note of and how the, all of that dialogue affected the pacing and also the general read, right? Because if something's really quickly paced and it just moves and moves and moves that can get tiring over the course of the length of a novel right and thrillers I think have just such a determined and immaculate kind of pacing if they're written well we have a thriller in horrifying classics a different book than I was just speaking of so the pacing definitely across what we'll be looking at is different and it's just so intricate the way it's built sometimes and here is a great example great little microcosm 
of something like that, an example. So what I like about the first half of the short story, so pages one through five or so, is that we have these moments, like the languid, slow prose in the first couple pages, then quick as the dialogue comes in, and then it gets slower again, and there's this sort of mystery of we get to watch Connie as she starts piecing this guy together, and she starts piecing this situation together because he comes so out of the blue. It's odd, right? It, it's this, like, sudden event, this jump scare, if you will. Not really, but it's one of those things that's quite surprising when it first comes up, at least to Connie, especially in this um, narrative. But then we start to go through these, like, one and two word conversational bits of, you know, sure, but how come we never saw you before? Well, I don't know. Um, moving into page five, we have this quote Quote, and up at the front fender was an expression that was familiar, man, the flying saucers. It was an expression kids had used the year before, but didn't use this year. She looked at it for a while as if the words meant something to her that she did not yet know, Unquote. So we have these, again, flaws in the armor that really start to affect not only the way that, right, things are moving forward, the pacing, but this, the gravity of the situation, and it gets to, it becomes more and more serious as we continue the short story. And from this moment, and especially page six, I would say, the story ramps up quite a bit, and it gets pretty fast and pretty intense. Of course, considering the previous title, Death and the Maiden, we get that that picture in our minds of, okay, what does that mean? And there's the mystical, archaic representation of death in the maiden in classical art, where there's literally death and a young maiden, usually in his arms or beside him, death that is. And so we get this juxtaposition of the classical motif and then this modern day serial killer um, and the serial killer is interesting in that he is, of course, an older man, 30s, and he dresses as if he were 17 or 18. And he, there's a quip about his boots in the short story, and it was said that because he was shorter, he wanted to look taller, more authoritative, more masculine, he would put stuffing in his boots in order to bolster himself up. And so we get all of these pieces coming together of the charade that this man in the story, Arnold Friend, is proposing and putting on a front for the short story. And what we come to realize is that Connie knows what's going on in the end of the short story. She knows this is a man who will not treat her with respect and indeed will do some pretty awful things to her. I'm not sure 
the extent to which she immediately realizes that he's going to kill her, but it's pretty apparent by the end that she knows the jig is up in a sense and that she has this existential moment before she walks out of the house. And again, she is herself, but she is every girl in this situation. And she has, you know, those characteristics, like she's wearing this bright green blouse in on page nine you know these individual moments that come out through the short story but she also you know has that panic and that stress and anxiety that any teenage girl would experience in this situation and the way that the story lines winds down it makes it feel like connie's making a deliberate choice in some ways um, and of course there's just different arguments for how you want to interpret this short story but I'll read the last couple short paragraphs from page 9 quote Connie felt the linoleum under her feet it was cool she brushed her hair back out of her eyes Arnold friend let go of the post tentatively and opened his arms for her his elbows pointing in toward each other and his wrists limp to show that this was embarrassed embraced and a little mocking. He didn't want to make her self-conscious. She put out her hand against the screen. She watched herself push the door slowly open as if she were back safe somewhere in the other doorway, watching this body and this head of long hair moving out into the sunlight where Arnold friend waited. My sweet little blue-eyed girl he said in a half-sung sigh that had nothing to do with her brown eyes but was taken up just the same by the vast sunlit reaches of the land behind him and on all sides of him. So much land that Connie had never seen before and did not recognize except to know that she was going to it, unquote. Right, and, and before this she's, you know, panicked. And then suddenly... There's this moment of deliberate calm, and she moves outside of herself, right? Before, it's very immediate. Quote, she felt her pounding heart. Her hand seemed to enclose it, unquote, from just a paragraph or two earlier. Very immediate, very much from her perspective. And then we get this deliberate distancing, almost as if she's making a sacrifice of herself, and that's something that I think is so complex about this short story, is modern day views of feminism and womanhood would want to say, oh, she was being coerced by this guy. And for sure, there's a long element of manipulation here. There's a sort of cajoling and sort of uh, witchcraft that's going on almost, where he's lulling her, convincing her, using all his tactics that he needs to, to convince her, hey, that he's younger, which, you know, completely fails in this short story, um, at least, and then B, that he's someone quote-unquote safe and that they're going to have a good time together or whatnot. And what I find so complex is that you want to believe that Connie's just being manipulated into going into this man's presence and putting herself at this great danger, which she certainly senses. And yet, she knows 
exactly what's going on with Arnold French. She knows that he's older, she knows that he's posing for some reason as a child and that he doesn't quite fit the role and that there are things going on beyond what even maybe she can interpret and understand from the signs that she's been given and the signs that she recognizes as, oh, this is a false sort of mask that he's putting on. And so there is that question at the end of, is this her choice? Does she choose to go out and deliver herself, in a sense, death and the maiden, to this man? That, dear listener, I will leave to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I really did enjoy going back and looking at this short story. No matter how bare bones the analysis was, it was still an extremely enjoyable short story to muse on and to think about. There's a lot of themes that I didn't get into about womanhood and what's going on in that respect um, with Joyce's representation of Connie and how that all fits into this general perspective of Connie's as a representative of all teenagers, of all teenage girls, and there's um, a bit about, there's a couple sexual lines in there that we didn't get to, but are very interesting and valuable to think about nonetheless. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week for our first episode of Horrifying Classics. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.